Welcome to Great Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. This is Kim Russo. This week, I'm very pleased to welcome back Curtis Stokes from Curtis Stokes and Associates. He's been a frequent guest on our podcast, and he's going to give us a little bit of an update on kind of the status of the boat buying market, specifically for loopers, because there's just a whole lot going on out there. Um, Before we jump into it, I do want to take a moment to recognize and thank our Admiral level sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Curtis Stokes and Associates, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. And with that out of the way, I want to bring Curtis Stokes into the conversation. Curtis, thanks for joining me today. You bet. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. Yeah, and I I see that you're at your home in Maryland instead of on the road. I think last time you did one of these with us, you might have been at an airport. (laughs) I was at an airport and uh, struggling to make a flight. Yeah, so this is much more relaxed. And uh, as you can tell, I'm dressed for Maryland and not Florida. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Well, the last time you were with us also, I think, was shortly after the pandemic began or, you know, kind of as it was just ramping up, so to speak. Um, And we talked a lot about boat buying in the COVID era and how it can still be done safely and how the procedures might have changed. But since then, um, it's just been a crazy time for the previously owned boat market. So tell us how the market's changed, you know, from your perspective, more or less, what's different now? Uh, It's pretty amazing. What an incredible year in so many ways. Uh, But for us, it was a record year uh, for a lot of brokers, it was, and for a lot of manufacturers and dealers. Uh, the biggest issue has been a lack of inventory. But back in March, if someone had told me that what happened was going to happen, I would have laughed uh, because we certainly didn't expect the volume of business that was done. Uh, I thought it was going to end up being a, you know, not a game of survival, but you know, certainly a, a very difficult time expecting a recession. Um, amazing how resilient the economy was uh, throughout the past year uh, for uh, quite a few people. Uh, there are certainly a lot of people that were hurting uh, and it's amazing how it's just here and there. And it's, it's like I have a neighbor who owns restaurants and he's just trying to survive. And then I know some other business that's just trying to survive and that's booming. So it's just been incredible times that I'm sure economists will be uh, studying for quite a while. But in March, uh, we were coming up with all kinds of ways to keep boat sales going. And we were talking about uh, using Zoom like this for virtual showings, uh, traveling for our clients so they wouldn't have to, uh, doing everything, the whole sales process virtually. Well, some people didn't travel and some people did. Uh, Quite a few people just got in their cars, even got on planes like I do and travel. Um, some you know, put a boat under contract based on our word, based on uh, virtual showings, and then came just for the survey. And then some literally bought the boat sight unseen without any, uh, without attending the survey or anything. Uh, but it was pretty incredible the, the volume of sales, especially this summer around July, as like here on the Chesapeake where I am now, it just went out of sight because of when the governor allowed boating, everybody went out and bought a boat for local cruising just to have something to do. And it was certainly a good idea for social distancing. Uh, a little crazy on the fishing trips where they were allowing 10 people that weren't related, 
but no one else could have anywhere near that amount of people. So kind of some inconsistencies, some crazy decisions being made, but it was all towards boating and boating really thrived this year. Uh, the biggest problem was for the buyers and no inventory. And it was very, very frustrating for them and still is. Uh, we still are quite busy, uh, still struggling to find good inventory. Uh, so it's, it's been a struggle, but certainly not one that we can complain about as a business, uh, but would sure like to see more inventory for buyers so they're not so frustrated. Yeah, it has been such a crazy year. And I know, you know, here in Charleston, um, boating was a great way to social distance, but then you would see boats of, you know, 30 kids out on the waterway and think, hmm. Um, and we experienced the same kind of thing. You know, they shut down the boat ramps for a little while and then the little um, dock in my, just for my neighborhood's use suddenly became a popular place for people we'd never seen before who wanted to put their boat in the water and, you know, pick up friends yeah. when all the public ones were closed. So such a crazy year. Um, and I think it, it, it showed pretty early on that boating was a great way to social distance. And I know that kind of the smaller weekend boat market shot up pretty quickly for those of you who perhaps probably don't really follow the overall boat market. I know Curtis does carefully, um, but I think some of us were a little bit surprised that that translated to loop typical boats and the, the inventory. You're right. And that's what I keep hearing from our newer members who are looking for their great loop boat is that there's just not that inventory, much inventory. And when something that's a good boat does come to market, it's almost gone before they even have right. the opportunity to act on it. So, you know, tell us a little bit about the inventory on Great Loop capable boats. You know, what tends to be out there? How fast is it moving? What are your thoughts? Uh, the most popular Great Loop boats are selling quickly. And there were some that had a lull, like for example, the 47 foot Bayliner, the 4788. There's always been a very popular model. And for the last, well, a, a year ago, uh, sales really slowed down. Suddenly this past year, a lot of them have sold. There's not much inventory, you know, same story with a lot of the boats, but that's an example. Uh, if it's priced right and it's in good condition, it's selling. Mm -hmm. If it's not priced right, then it's slow. Uh, that's just really what it boils down to. We also have a lot of new people, new boaters to the boating market, and they're getting scared of older boats, and not even older boats, some newer boats uh, for my, what I would consider minor issues on survey. And they're going through two, three, even four, I've seen uh, boats before they finally either give up uh, or they buy a boat. Uh, but it's an education process and a pretty expensive one for some people. I was on a survey Monday as an example where on a 2000 vintage boat, there were four very minor dime sized blisters and the buyer just was having a really tough time with it and felt that he had to strip the entire bottom and his surveyor was trying to calm him down and saying, don't do that. I don't recommend it. Yeah, it's way overkill for this. You're really spending more money than you need to, and it's not a good idea. And he just wouldn't have it. He, he felt he had to do that, and he was asking the yard where we were for a quote. He won't end up buying that boat in the end. Uh, he just wasn't ready for that big of a boat, and he had in his mind that it was much worse than it was. So it's a real education process, and people have to be patient with the buyers, the brokers, the sellers, the surveyors, to try to walk them through the process so that they don't end up in a money pit, but they also don't pass on a boat that actually could be a good idea for them. Right. So 
there's so many things that you said right in that in that part that I want to kind of back up to. But um, you know, let's let's kind of start with you mentioned if they're priced right, they're moving fast. Have you seen really much of a change in the value of boats? Because some people consider it such a seller's market because there is such little inventory that they're expecting to command top dollar. So are you seeing those right. prices tick up or is the value still you know, basically the same and the ones that are priced right are the ones that are moving? Yeah, so we have resistance. We have um, buyers who don't wanna overpay you know, naturally, uh, they, they are looking down the road when they go to sell the boat, especially people who are doing the Great Loop as a bucket list item. They want to be able to get in and get out, and rightfully so. Uh, then we have sellers who keep hearing how strong the market is and are pushing their prices up and being firm on what they're willing to consider as an offer. And so we've had uh, quite a bit of resistance and I've seen buyers give in and just say, I just wanna go boating and they just pay the price and go. In other cases, you know, the seller's gone through two or three buyers and goes, okay, I'm tired of this process. I'm gonna lower my price or I'm gonna take the next offer that's anywhere near reasonable, but I'm gonna be firm on survey issues that I wouldn't have been so firm on previously. So we're taking each deal as it comes along and walking it through the process, uh, trying to keep the buyer and seller together uh, somewhere near each other on the price. Uh, but you are seeing boats that are surveying two, three, four times, like I said, before they actually sell. And I've seen some sellers get way ahead of themselves on pricing because they have heard the market so strong. And they'll have, let's say an older boat, uh, late 80s boat, and they try to get top, top dollar for it, and it's not happening, and they're getting frustrated. Well, what they're hearing are, like you mentioned earlier, these small boats, local boats, where the dealers just, they sold everything on their inventory and couldn't get new inventory. Now you're seeing the inventory start to pick up again on those types of boats, the trailerable boats, but word got out that every boat out there was selling like hotcakes, and so every seller assumed that they could just ask anything they wanted. I have seen some sellers get some real premiums. I've been very surprised by it, but not across the board. And it really, again, comes down to the brand and model. If you go on the internet and look for a 40 foot main ship, uh, you know, 2004 to 2008, there isn't much inventory at all. Um, if you, you know, look at some of the other boats like late 80s, some of the older boats, yes, there are some out there, quite a few. And uh, you know, for reasons that I'm sure we'll talk about like insurance and financing and and survey issues, but uh, it's it's trying to keep the sellers reasonable and trying to get the buyers more reasonable is a real tough job these days for brokers, but we're doing it and selling boats. Not quite the volume we did in July. July was out of control. July, we could not keep up. And that's what everybody in the industry says. They were just so overwhelmed. I, I, I spoke to people in the industry that were in tears because they just could not keep up. Uh, documentation agents, lenders, and they were being bombarded by people who were upset that the paperwork was taking longer and that the Coast Guard was delayed and just weren't forgiving at all. And they were ready to throw their hands up and going, I don't need to make money like this. This is just you know, stress. It's calmed down quite a bit, but uh, it's still a good market. Yeah. And, and all of that was, you know, I think so unexpected in July when, you know, in March, everyone was kind of sitting around going, yeah, I wonder where this is leading us. Um, and you're right. We, we see lots of members who are new to boating and we're excited to have them and we're trying to put out some content for them that is kind of introductory to boating, which um, hopefully is helpful to them. But you did mention, um, you know, this 
this difference in that sometimes newer voters don't quite know what to expect on a survey and that what to an experienced voter might be a minor problem can really tank a deal. Um, and you talked about, you know, some buyers or some votes going through multiple surveys before the vote actually changes hands or multiple different votes, um, which is interesting because there was a, a really interesting kind of thread on the Great Loop Facebook group earlier this week. Um, and there were a couple people in there who said, you know, if a vote had failed survey, which uh, I'm assuming by that, they mean that if somebody ha has previously rejected the vote, that they would not even consider it and immediately walk away. But it sounds like that that might be a bit short sighted in a lot of cases. I feel it is because one, uh, boats don't fail survey. Uh, buyers just decide not to purchase the boat because of survey issues. But a lot of times the seller will look at it and say, OK, I have to fix whatever this is or give you money off to the buyer to, for you to fix it if I'm not willing to or would just prefer that you do it. Uh, and, and I'm gonna be reasonable about this because I didn't. a lot of sellers don't know about these issues uh, that come up on survey. They're completely shocked and uh, they're not trying to hide anything. They just, you can get on boats and just go and go and go and not know their issues that are gonna come up on a survey. So uh, surveys can surprise everybody there. Uh, but uh, the, the, the survey issues have you know, become an issue for sellers where they then have to go back and fix things. And then word gets out that that boat was a problem on survey, but the thing was already fixed. So the message to buyers is don't assume that a boat that was rejected by another buyer on a survey is a problem boat. Find out what actually happened. You know, was it the uh, you know water pump on the starboard main engine and the sellers already replaced that and it's no longer an issue. Uh, there's some you know, boats old in the 80s that have had delamination issues or coring issues and the seller fixed them. But it doesn't really get out into the marketplace that that has been addressed until the buyer actually makes the inquiry. So when you're out having docktails or you know, on the forum and you hear about all this, it's good to keep an open mind to these, uh, but don't just go surveying a boat that has already been surveyed and rejected by another uh, buyer without finding out. So you don't just do the same thing. You know, and that's what we do as brokers is try to find out what has happened previously if we can. Right. The other thing you mentioned, Curtis, um, is, you know, it, it's, it's, you've got some people be, because of COVID and them not wanting to travel and because inventory is so low, you've had some people buy some boats sight unseen. Um, another thing that was in this, the same thread, um, which again, it was a very interesting thread for me, um, but it was, it was discussing the idea of putting a deposit on a boat sight unseen. Um, and there were some folks that were recommending against doing that. But in this kind of frenzy that over the summer erupted around, oh my gosh, there's a boat for sale. You know, let me look at that one. Um, as I said earlier, there wasn't always time for folks to travel um, and do a, a personal inspection before make, you know, making a, a, a good faith offer. Um, because there are so many other buyers interested in the same boats. So what's your take on the process and how that typically works? Well, in a normal boating environment, I would, boat buying uh, environment, I would recommend that someone not, you know, put a deposit down and make an offer uh, contingent on survey and trial run until they've seen the boat because we have more time. But when the market is as strong as it is, and it is still strong, you know, we keep talking about how July was frenzy. Yes, but right now, 
there are still plenty of buyers out there that are very frustrated because they contact us about a boat and it's under contract or we contact the listing broker and the boat sold and it hasn't been removed from the online services. And so they get very frustrated and, and feel that they're spinning their wheels and uh, just throw up their hands and go buy an RV or just hold off on buying until the market changes. But those who are really keen to do the loop, you know, they, they've got to jump quickly. And so the only way to do that is to go in and make an offer contingent on a survey and trial run satisfactory to the buyer and a personal inspection, and then be prepared to put a deposit in the broker's escrow account or an attorney's escrow account if there are no brokers involved um, and lock the boat up. But to be fair to the seller and the listing broker or listing broker, if there's one, you've got to hurry up and get there. You can't wait because of COVID or any other reason uh, and drag this process out because once they put to accept your, your offer, it's off the market pretty much. People can make a backup offer, but most people don't want to do that. So you, you want to do that and then go see the boat right away and say, no, I don't want this boat now that I've seen it or yeah, okay, I'm ready to move forward with the survey. And again, we need to get the survey going fairly quickly, but we're really struggling finding surveyors who are available. So we've had to extend some deals because of that. But initially, you know, don't make an offer, tie up the boat and then just sit and wait. Uh, you've got to get to the boat pretty quickly, even doing it that way. So, and there was some hesitance, I think, from some people, Curtis, to, to put down a deposit and make an offer um, before the personal inspection and before the survey, you know, somewhat, I think, out of fear that something would turn up on survey that was unexpected. Um, so talk about, you know, how safe are you with these contingencies and with putting up that deposit in an escrow account? I mean, have you ever run a, across a, a circumstance where someone, you know, there was nothing wrong with the boat, it just wasn't what they felt like they wanted when they got there. Has there ever been a problem with backing out of a contract or getting the deposit back if the contingencies were done the right way? I've never run into a problem uh, unless the person accepted the boat after the survey and then changed their mind for some reason. Uh, it's just like real estate. Once you accept the boat on survey issues, then you have to proceed to closing or lose your deposit and it does happen. But prior to that, no, uh, I had someone recently, you know, it was a $600,000 boat and he spent a lot of money on surveyors. He was very detailed in his survey process. And at the very end of the survey, he walked up to me on the dock. He said, I just don't love the boat. I just don't love it. And I'm rejecting it. And he said, okay, and walked away. Seller wasn't happy. Listing broker wasn't happy, but you know, that was his decision and there's nothing they could do because the typical standard brokerage association contracts, purchase and sale agreements are written to protect the buyers. And so uh, I, I would not recommend anyone be concerned about putting a deposit in a brokerage account, escrow account, if the broker is licensed and bonded, you know, not every state licenses and, and requires bonds for brokers. Uh, so you do have to be careful who you're putting your money with. And if you don't feel comfortable, put it in a third party's escrow account, you know, an attorney or somebody. Don't give it to the seller, obviously. And don't give it to uh, the seller's broker if you have a buyer's broker, because that's your buyer's broker job to protect your deposit in their escrow account. But there's no reason not to put a deposit in and a contract contingent upon survey, trial run, and personal inspection. You have all the... Um, the, the uh, language that you need to back away if it's not the boat you expect. 
Right. And that's good to know. And there, there was some, you know, chatter in this discussion online about, uh, I'm glad you said, Curtis, that this is kind of similar to a real estate buying process, because there was mm -hmm. some chatter that, you know, why isn't this more like buying a car? And I don't know why it's not, but it is not. <laughs> it's more like buying real estate. Um, and, and, you know, frankly, it is kind of like buying a second home for a lot of looper boats. So it does make more sense that it's more like real estate than a car. Um, but I think you probably clarified a lot that people were questioning in that. So I appreciate you sharing that. When I want to take a quick break and play a message from one of our sponsors. We'll come back and just have a few more questions and we'll wrap things up. So we'll be back in, in a moment. York, just minutes from Syracuse International Airport. Winter Harbor offers the lowest diesel fuel and gas prices from New York City to Canada. If you find a lower posted documented price, they will match it. Their amenities include complimentary courtesy vehicle, 24-hour pay-at-the-pump fueling, dockside water and cable TV, pristine bathrooms and showers, and emergency haul-out service. For more information, call 315-676-9276 or visit www.winterharborllc.com. Winter Harbor is a proud commander sponsor of AGLCA. We're back on Great Loop Radio. My guest today is Curtis Stokes with Curtis Stokes and Associates. He is an admiral sponsor of AGLCA and he's filling us in today on the uh, previously owned boat markets and how that has changed in the past months during COVID. And it's, it's not how many people expected. It's actually become extremely, um, a very robust marketplace right now. Um, and that of course has led to some challenges. So Curtis, I, obviously your expertise is in helping people um, buy and sell boats. But in addition to finding the right boat, there are some challenges that I'm sure some of your buyers are facing. There's certainly some challenges in the, in the process um, that I'm hearing from our members. Um, you know, particularly, we're hearing a lot of concerns from newer boaters about the insurance market and how that's being uh, affected by all this. And we actually will have one of our sponsors who is in the insurance industry on in a couple of weeks. But in the meantime, what are you seeing with your clients, Curtis, who are out there shopping for their insurance? It's really, really tough. Um, we've had such huge losses in the insurance industry from hurricanes. The past uh, few hurricane seasons uh, have been catastrophic for them. Uh, we've had some major, major marina fires uh, that have uh, devastated quite a few boats. And we've had an uptick in just individual claims from boat owners who haven't had or don't have the boating experience that they probably should. And I even see some people throwing, uh, uh, filing a claim for some things that are borderline just because they have insurance, they wanna just file a claim. So when you add all that up and the reinsurance market tightens up on these insurance companies, they get out of the marine industry altogether. And until we get a quieter hurricane season and a lot fewer marina fires, and individual claims, there's just not going to be a good insurance market. This is a tight insurance market. Um, so they have really picked on the older boats. Uh, Geico announced recently that they will not insure any boat 40 years or older. Uh, then a couple of others started following and one even said 30 years and older. 
and uh, one insurance company uh, agency will not handle any uh, policies under 150,000. Now, what I get a lot of sellers of owners who become sellers of older boats, 80, 81, they say, well, I got reinsured. I mean, I got renewed. So what's the problem? Well, it's not the renewal. It's the new buyer. When they apply for new insurance, the insurance underwriters are going to stop. You know, we're, we're, we're out of this market or we're tightening up and we're only going to do new boats. The other side of it is the lack of experience. We used to uh, well, for a while there, the insurance uh, companies were giving anybody insurance. It didn't matter if you'd never been on a boat before. So they, I fault them to a great degree because they tend to go from one extreme to another and don't really find a good mutual ground, you know, where they can make money, but also keep a market really active. Uh, so they started getting all these claims from people they should not have given insurance to. So then they said, well, you're going to have to have a captain train you and the captain's going to have to sign off that you know after 20 hours 40 hours whatever it is that you're capable of operating this boat until then the boat can't leave the dock with you operating it so we got through that uh the training captains did well with that you know and they helped out a lot uh then it became uh every now and then someone had to have a captain for a year and of course that didn't work out the cost was astronomical and they just didn't want a captain with them so we lost a few people because of that. Uh, we were able to get people into training, Chris and Elise Caldwell, Capable Cruising, Southwest Florida Yachts. Uh, there are just a couple of them that do some training that are AGLCA sponsors. And they would sign off you know, after uh, a charter, training charter or some time on their boats or uh, whatever you know, they were able to do. And that helped a lot. Now they're just clamping down and saying, no, if you don't have the necessary experience on this size boat, we're just not going to give you insurance. And so we have a lot of buyers who have been rejected for their lack of experience recently and for the age of the boat. And so it's it's been a real hit on the market, but there are enough boats selling uh, newer boats that, you know, everybody's talking about how strong the market is. But if you have a boat that's in the 70s or early 80s, as of 81, now you're 40 years old. So uh, it's getting tougher and tougher to get insurance. That will change, but not anytime soon, I'm sure. Yeah, so I think that's going to be something big on the radar for some of our newer members and some people getting ready to do the loop who don't have the boat or the insurance yet. Um, so we are going to cover that in a few weeks. Um, next week, we're actually going to have Cindy Lewis from Sterling Associates here to um, give us kind of a briefing on the boat financing side of the buying process. Um, and then the week after that, we'll cover insurance. So a little bit more resources for you if you're out there finding and buying that boat. Um, but also on the insurance, what some of our clients are doing with the older boats that can't get insurance is they're getting liability coverage only and self-insuring for replacement value on the boat. You know, it depends on your personal finances, how much you're willing to gamble like that. But some people are and they'll buy, let's say, a $50,000 boat and they'll get liability insurance only to cover them for getting in and out of marinas, et cetera. And then they'll self-insure on the value of the boat. If you're willing to do that, that's that's definitely working for a lot of people on the older boats. Yeah, that definitely is an option, of course. Um, so we are now at a year since we've had a face-to-face -face ATLCA event. 
Um, and that is, you know, kind of one of the primary places loopers go to learn more about this whole boat buying process. Um, now, Curtis has recorded a webinar for us several months ago, and you can find that on our webinars archive, and that is at www.greatloop.org slash webinars. You can still um, find the recording of that webinar that really walks you through the whole process of how to find and buy that Great Loop boat. Um, but until we start to have some face-to-face -face events and some looper calls again, Curtis, any other resources on you know, where people can go to start to focus in on what boat might be right for them? Well, I think the AGLCA website is the primary source of information for any looper. You have just a phenomenal amount of detail on that site. Um, you can look up on the forum the people that are active from Jim Healy to, uh, you know, some of the others, uh, Joe uh, Pika, uh, that you can actually contact directly. And those guys are wonderful about helping fellow members, uh, wealth of information. Uh, the insurance comp uh, brokers, the finance brokers, you mentioned uh, Cindy Lewis, uh, yacht brokers that are experienced. You can contact all of these sources and, and they, everybody's willing to help you as much as possible. Um, I still promote buyer brokerage, you know, getting with a broker and sticking with that broker and uh, someone you feel comfortable with and guiding you through the process because it is frustrating right there now. There's no question. You go online and you don't see anything that uh, fits your needs or you find something and it's under contract the minute you call. Uh, so you need somebody to hold your hand through this process and, and keep you on the straight and narrow uh, with all the changes going on in insurance and finance and surveys and all of that, uh, that you really do need a lot of help right now in, in getting through this. It'll change, but you know, that's going to be a while. Yeah. All right. I think we'll hold it there for today. Curtis, thank you so much for joining us and thanks for your continual support of AGLCA and of Loopers. Thank you. And to everyone who has listened today, thank you for being with us. We'll be back next week with another episode of Great Loop Radio. Next week, we will be covering finance with Cindy Lewis of Sterling Associates. Um, so we'll be back next week. Until then, safe cruising.